Hello and welcome to Peace of No Mind. Peace of No Mind. Peace of No Mind. Peace of No Mind. Hello and welcome to Peace of No Mind. My name is Ray Tanner. Hit us up at Peace of No Mind Show on Instagram and Peace of No Mind on Twitter. And you know what? If you like today's podcast, don't forget to like, share and subscribe. Peace out. have here with us today man hi uh i am kitty underhill i'm a plus size model body acceptance advocate and self-love advocate so basically what that means is that i use my platform online to teach people um how to accept their bodies and also how to be more critical of the kind of media that they consume and get people to be more critical about why they feel the way they do about their own bodies and other bodies. Cause I think it's all good and well being like, oh, accept your flaws. But you know, what we really need to have conversations about is why do we feel like we're flawed in the first place? Because I've read some of your articles um, and some of oh. the captions on the your Instagram post. Oh, you're, you're doing bits and you're, you're bringing Thank discussions you. forward. Thank um, you. But before we get into any of that, Kitty came into the studio. She's like, oh, remember when we were on the podcast? And I was there like, um, what us? <laughs> and like BJ, right? No. <laughs> I'm like, BJ? <laughs> BJ where? There's a BJ out there who's trying to do peace and no mind, but isn't doing it no. well enough like i'll take it it's because you were so welcoming and lovely and i was like oh well clearly we're picking up where we left off but there was nowhere to leave off from because like, you're, you're just a cool guy oh clearly. man damn look she swung that round pretty well man i won't lie That's well what done I did. Good save. Um, but it's cool and welcome to peace of no mind what have you actually been on recently like just tell us a bit about what you've been up to oh gosh that's a really good question uh, what have i been i just moved house yeah, that was the big thing. So I moved house about yeah, I guess a month ago. And you know how it is when you move house, and it's like, oh, I still have boxes with things in. So a lot of it's <laughs> just been like unpacking, existing, trying to put things in places. And it's a really cute little place. I actually live inside a school. Oh um, yeah, which is really bizarre. What in what classroom? Like the math classroom? <laughs> <laughs> no, you would never catch me in the math classroom. It's obviously the drama classroom. <laughs> um, but are you in a classroom? No. Okay. No, cool. So basically, you walk in through the school gates oh, and. You turn left to go into the school and you turn right to go to my house, which is really bizarre. But it's also great because it means that if any kind of energy company is trying to like sell me stuff, I'm like, it's not up to me. I live in a school. And they're like, what do you mean you live in a school? Like, well, I, I don't know what to tell you. I live in a school. It's not my job. Please stop selling me things. Um, so yeah, so that's been pretty big. What else have I been doing? Um, I think I've been taking a bit of a step back from social media recently. I think just because... It's been good to kind of check in with myself and I was just going forward, keeping trying to do things, check things on my list, goals, goals, goals. But I wasn't, I think what happens to me is that I go into autopilot mode. So I don't think about how I'm actually doing from time to time. I'm just thinking about what, you know, my next post or my next job, my next booking. And it's not good for you if you don't check in with yourself and go, how am I actually doing? Yeah. So it's been really valuable to do that over the past couple of weeks. It's been like up and down. And also my counsellor's been on holiday. And I'm like, it's good for you, babe. I'm really glad you're having a break. But I, need you. I have a lot of feelings right now. <laughs> but it's been, it's been good, though. It's been an educational time. Yeah. 
and because I did see on your Instagram, not obviously because I don't, like, I'm not stalking or anything, but I did see that you were like, oh, you're without Wi-Fi for like a week or something. Oh my god. Okay, by force, maybe I need to take a, like an actual break yeah, from a lot of stuff and maybe prioritize where my gigabytes need to go. For sure, and I think it was also the universe being like, oi, sit down, <laughs> Just stop scrolling. Yes. It was so good though. I think you know I've done it before where mm. when I've not been super great, I've just deleted the apps off my phone, and it sounds like the most shallow thing to be like oh the best thing you could do for your mental health is delete social media but <laughs> honestly it is because you stop scrolling you stop getting caught up in that spiral mm. of comparison yeah. and you know because obviously everyone posts a highlight reel don't they and so i'm sitting there on my sofa being like oh i'm not doing this this and this and i'm not thinking about all the things i've already done yeah. i'm just thinking oh well I'm not as good as this person without knowing the whole story. And I think a lot of us can fall into that. A hundred percent. And it's not really embracing the present moment. So it's becoming a bit ridiculous and you realise like mm -hmm. maybe 10 years has passed and you've just been chasing goals. This is it. Like yeah. two years ago. So I used to live in Brighton and then I moved to London. And as soon as I got to London, I was like, right, that is it. I'm going to do the thing. And I worked and I worked and I worked for the whole year. And then 2018 came around and I was sick for six weeks straight. Mm -hmm. Because my body had just gone, what the hell are you doing? You've got to stop. I had tonsillitis, throat infection. Like, it was just nonstop. And it was so frustrating because I kept beating myself up and being like, I'm not doing enough. I'm not doing anything. I'm not working. And like, But I can't work if I'm sick. Mm. And I think sometimes we literally run ourselves into the ground. Burnout. And it's only, yeah, that's it. It was mm. burnout. And until such time as, you know, we shouldn't get to crisis point before we check in with ourselves. We need to find a way of making sure we always check in you know, so to prevent that from happening. And have you now, like, developed some sort of methodology to be like, cool, this, I've been working hard for, like, six months, now's the time to be like, no more. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I think okay. what's really helped is um, I'm now signed with a modelling agency. Yeah, you <laughs> are. But what's been great is that they've really been my advocates and... You know, because I, I was saying yes to everything, um, which is a good thing. It's good to say yes to things. But they sort of said, look, we only want you to do things that benefit you. And I was like, what? What? What, what a concept, <laughs> me? Do things that only help me? <laughs> and so it's like, it's really helped me to prioritise, like, what's worth my time yeah. and what actually helps me because... I am one of those people who I'm a super people pleaser. I want to be friends with everyone. I want to do the best by everybody. But if you keep bending over backwards for everyone but yourself, then where does that leave you? Yeah. You know? No, it's true. And so, like you said, ultimately, if you burn out, everything stops. Yeah. There's, it's not there's even no like, there's, yeah, there's not a round two of like, yo, actually, you know what? We can pick this. It's like, no, everything <laughs> yeah, stops by force. Yeah, 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 yeah. By force. But yeah. damn, Kitty, I'm so glad to have you on. Thank I know you it's so been much. it's been a long time coming. Um, and I'm sure BJ would say the same thing. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, 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 it's been a long time coming. I actually want to know what a peace of mind means and how is it best achieved? Wow, what a big question. I think a peace of mind comes with self-acceptance and giving yourself a break, not necessarily physically, but just being easier on yourself. I think all of us can be so hard on ourselves. We invite comparison, we work ourselves into the ground. We are constantly trying to be better, do better, and we feel like we're always sites of improvement. But it's okay to just rest and to just be. And I think as soon as you get closer to that kind of stage, 
you're just going to end up treating yourself a bit better. You know, we beat ourselves up for what we eat, for example. We beat ourselves up for, you know, not having the right body type, whatever the right body type is for this era or whatever. And I've found that the easier I've become on myself, you know, I mean, my internal chatter is still nonstop and is still does beat me up sometimes. I think it's it's going to be really difficult to switch it off completely. But as soon as we start to challenge that kind of internal voice and go, huh, maybe it's okay if I don't go to the gym every day. Maybe it's okay if I don't look like that person. Maybe it's okay if I didn't reach this certain milestone by this time. You know, I think age is another thing where, especially if you're in the creative industry and you see people online, you know, getting to a certain point by the time they're 22. Like, I'm 26. And for years, I kept beating myself up for not doing as much because I felt like I lost a lot of time due to being in a really depressive episode. And I just finally got to the point where I thought, why am I beating myself up for this? There's nothing I can do about it. I've just got to keep being kind to myself. I mean, being kind to yourself comes in lots of different forms, doesn't it? Mm. You know, it's so subjective. Yeah. So kindness to yourself, to you, maybe, you know, cancelling one of these recordings and having to sleep. You know what I mean? Like, or for me, it's saying, oh, do I need to do, you know, do I need to do this free shoot today? I haven't had a lot of sleep. Maybe I can just do some reading and a bit of research and then call it a day. It comes in so many different forms. And I think part of learning what a peace of mind is, is checking in with yourself and being like, what does what does kindness look like to me? What does self-love look like to me? What does self-acceptance look like to me? Because we don't allow ourselves to ask ourselves questions mm. a lot of the time. And how do you expect to grow if you don't ask? Yeah, yeah these, these are all very valid points. One thing that's really interesting is because you, you were talking about the ideal of, of loving yourself or at least accepting yourself. Mm. And what, what has your relationship been like maybe with yourself to begin with initially? Were you always quite an advocate for like, all right, guys, this is, you know, I, I'm, 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 at, I'm at a place where I'm comfortable with how I physically look? Or did you find that it, this was a long journey? Yeah, it was a long and Yeah, I think I, like many people, grew up, in and we still do we still live in it in amongst a diet culture we live in a society that really values what your body looks like and not you as a person or an individual and i you know i remember being about i think maybe i was nine or ten years old just telling my friends that i couldn't wear jeans because they didn't make jeans big enough to fit me which is ridiculous i was i was a nine-year-old girl but I was learning all these kinds of things about what my body was meant to be and I didn't fit into that. I had a really strained relationship with food and I hit puberty earlier than all my friends so I was comparing myself to really, really tiny people and thinking, oh my God, why don't I look like that? I wish I could tell that young person, like, you're not meant to look like everyone else. That's, that's kind of the point. I guess it all came to a head when I was 14. I was on MySpace, bit of a throwback <laughs> um, for any one of the MySpace generation <laughs> listening. And I met this guy online. He was a little bit older than me and we kind of developed this relationship online. It was completely over MSN, another throwback. Well, yeah, yeah. definitely, yeah. <laughs> yeah, MSN they're like days. going online and offline Good, to yeah. get your crush's attention. Like, I, I told him everything. I told him how I felt about my body, how I didn't like myself, how you know, how tough I was finding life and just existing. It was the first time I'd ever really been in that kind of situation because I 
just assumed that no one would ever kind of love me in that kind of way. And he so, was telling me that he did. So what, were you 14? So at this time, um, at school, did you have friends who were still quite, like you said, you hit puberty before mm -hmm. anyone else. So what did that look like? Would that mean that you were taller? Did that mean that yeah, you Yeah, so I was five foot six when I was when I just got to secondary school. So like people were in the midst of growing mm -hmm. while I was at secondary school, but I'd kind of finished. Yeah. I was, I guess, chubbier than a lot of my peers and like that sort of thing, which again, in hindsight, I was, it was just a different body type. Like I'm not a size six, so I'm the worst. Yeah. Your peers, how did they accept that? Or did they not accept it? Did you find that you felt like you did get a lot of external? It was one of those things where I almost felt like I had to get in there before anyone else did. Even though, looking back on it, it clearly wasn't that much of an issue. It's just, I I don't want to diagnose myself, but I think there was some kind of dysmorphic thought going on there. Like, that I'm this disgusting freak and this monster and no one would ever love me and no one would ever desire me and all that kind of thing. And especially when you go to... I went to a girls' school okay. as well. So, sadly, for a while, the local eating disorder ward at the, ho at the hospital was named... The I'm not going to include the name of my school, but it was called the My School Ward oh, as really? a nickname because so many people went. There was a real issue with yeah eating disorders, disordered eating behaviour. You know, I remember I went to uni and I was telling a friend of mine about how teachers would go to every classroom to make sure every girl wasn't skipping lunch and like making them go to lunch. And she sort of said, "That's awful." And I yeah. said, "Is it like?" That was that was my normal. Did, what did you find that you'd almost kind of fallen into some of these habits? So when you'd see some of your peers being like, "All right, cool, I'm not eating lunch." Absolutely, yeah, that's exactly what happened. And especially when this relationship with this guy kind of started up, we ended up meeting up in Camden, actually around the corner from here, weirdly. And how old was um, he? By the way, he was seventeen. I was okay. fourteen. It's not okay, but it's, it's not okay. So we had this whole date, I guess, and. He, I went home, he went home. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe this has happened. He kind of ignored me for a bit. And I thought, oh my God, what's going on here? He finally reached out to say that he saw that I was bigger than he thought I was, that he didn't want really anything to do with me until I lost weight. Basically for the next, yeah, it was about two years. It resulted in this kind of cycle where I thought he would be the only person who would love me because he kept saying that he did and then would say something horrible and then disappear. And he'd kind of pick me up and drop me like this. And I just thought that's what love was. I just thought that that's, that's how relationships are meant to be. And also he affirmed everything I thought about my body. So I joined the no eating club. You know, I'd stop, I'd skip breakfast, either try and skip lunch or eat as little as possible. And I always found it so weird that people would comment on what I was eating at lunch. And mm. I go, oh, you know, this is, you know, of course I'm just gonna eat some lettuce and a slice of ham, like whatever. <laughs> It, it really informed how I felt about my body. It was a really tough time because, mm -hmm. you know, ultimately I had internalised what my body was meant to look like from society, from the media, from everything. He had internalised what beauty and desirability is. Again, from the same forces. So we were both products of, of our environment. It doesn't excuse his behaviour. You know, it doesn't make what I did to myself okay either. But it's been an interesting turning point, I guess, because I think for a long time I was in denial about the way I treated my body and how my relationship with food is. Mm. It's only now that I kind of tell these stories on platforms like this and people go, God, that was horrible. And I go, wow, yeah, it actually kind of was. And it really yeah. wasn't okay. And that's why I speak up on it because I just don't want anyone to ever feel the way that I did when I was younger. Yeah. Because no one ever deserves to feel that low. Yeah. And no one ever 
should feel like they have to fit into a certain body type to be deserving of love because that's not the case at all. Because what was quite interesting and what, what I feel resonated a bit with me was my journey at around 16, yeah. I was like 18 stone. So in my school, it was quite, uh, growing up in the city, London, mixed, mm. mixed school, it was kind of kill or be killed culture. Of course. Um, and that that in itself like thickened like... And I'd say not not it's not something where I'm like, oh, yeah, thickened my skin and I should have had to endure that. But it was almost one of those that you look back and you're like, oh, you know what? Like, that was horrible. That was mental. Yeah. It was mental. And don't get me wrong. There were periods where I'd probably I had to give it back I had mm. to, because it was either that or you became like a, the victim. But I guess especially I guess there's such a that's a really interesting way of kind of seeing how fat phobia affects men and women in that. You know, I guess for women, we beat ourselves up all the time about it. And, you know, we say it in a catty and nasty way or it's like underhanded comments, that sort of thing. Whereas I feel like with men, it's always either passed off as really jokey or as like active bullying. There's no kind of grey area. You know, my dad is a big guy. The way that I've heard him, you know, the stories that he tells and the fact that he doesn't want to eat in public sometimes because he doesn't want to think, oh, you know, I don't want people to go, oh, I'm just the fat guy you know, eating food, blah, blah, blah. you know, it's like the fact that fat people or big people even need to think about that is really shitty. I think, especially at school, I mean, again, different age, we went of to course. school, you know, but it's, I think fatness is one of those things that is always the first thing to be picked on at school. It, there's got to be some kind of change in the way that we educate kids about bodies mm -hmm. because... That's so pervasive across so many different people's experiences that, oh, I was, my body was slightly different and that became the butt of the joke and I had to go through this trauma. And it's like, how do we stop that before it starts? No one should have to have bullying as a rite of passage. We all deserve much more tender love and care. Um, so when you say like the term fat phobia, yeah. how would you define fat phobia as some form? So fat phobia is the systemic <laughs> hatred of fat people. So you can see it in the way that you watch a film. Chances are the fat person is going to be the butt of the joke. Or, you know, you get that stereotype of the super hypersexualized fat woman who really wants to get with the skinny guy and the skinny guy is always so disgusted. And so like, oh God, I would never... Or she becomes a secret or... Oh, it's, it's kind of funny that she has a sex drive because mm -hmm. who would ever want to have sex with a fat girl? Turns out, lots of people. So, <laughs> a lot of you. <laughs> you know, like, but it's all these... Um, but it also goes into more, you know, societal effects. So, fat people are more likely to not go to the doctor because of the medical fat phobia that they would experience. Yeah, so I did read that in an article of yours and it was quite an interesting point that you raised. Um, you could probably explain it a little better than I, but it was along the lines of, it, for your fatness or your overweightness being addressed before your actual health concerns? Yeah, it's it's always been pretty harsh. You know, um, I follow a lot of fat people on Twitter and on Instagram. <laughs> and one thing that is so pervasive is people being like, I'm in pain, but I don't want to go because I know they're just going to say I need to lose weight. When, you know, fatness and unhealthiness is not intrinsically linked. These are two completely separate things. And we, as a society, have tied them together. There's this awful story I mentioned in an article a few months ago. There was a guy who went to the doctor with stomach pain and he just said, you need to lose weight. It turned out he had a nine stone tumour in his stomach. A whole person worth of tumour well. inside a person. And that was, he could have died because doctors didn't think to actually check him properly. Mm. And... 
it goes to show that there needs to be a lot more education around this in the medical field. I think that is really coming up now with this whole sector of health for every size, which has become a bit more pervasive. And I think it's a lot more sensitive towards different body types in that health doesn't look a certain way. Yeah. And also health is something that's very difficult for a lot of people to achieve. I just think it's really nasty to, you know, especially when... Um, fatness and disability can go hand in hand sometimes if you say oh well you're no good you're not worthy you're you know you're just wasting away if you're not healthy and it's like well if they've got diabetes they're not going to be healthy and that's okay to have diabetes what what would you say to someone who was like fatness is a choice you, you just need to find yourself in some form of like physical environment i think the thing is is that we've got to stop treating fatness as a problem even if it is a choice that's fine you know, all of our bodies take different shapes. All of our bodies have set points. So for a very long time, I was cutting out food and, you know, doing all sorts of things. And so my weight was a lot lower. Once I stopped doing that, I put on weight, which was very triggering for me. But I realised I'm kind of around the same point that I was when I was much younger before I started engaging in these behaviours. So it's almost like my body's gone back to that point and gone, oh, OK, we're comfortable here now. Mm -hmm. What I'd say to someone who is clearly pretty fat phobic is they <laughs> is that fat phobic would you describe that as fat yeah because it's it's expecting so much of a person's body and it's dictating someone like how much respect someone deserves to based on their body size and especially when you know you i mean this is kind of an old argument i guess in this now is that you get lots of slim people who do not go to the gym every day. They eat chips all the time and they probably like a bit of drugs or whatever like they engage in unhealthy behaviours, but you don't see them not being treated by the doctor properly. It's it's a very systemic issue, fat phobia. We need to start treating it as such, and we need to start being more sensitive to it and thinking, right, how do I unlearn it? Because otherwise we're just doing everyone a disservice and ourselves a disservice, because ultimately we internalise it. That's why we're so obsessed with being thin as a culture. Or we externalise it and we treat fat people like shit. So we need to, you know, start talking about it more so that we can be more caring and understanding. There was there was a point that you raised and it was along the lines of like employment. So not only is it mm. like the doctors who could potentially discriminate, but you've also got employers who in one case study had given a woman 30 days to lose weight. Yeah. Um, what did you, do we know why they gave her 30 days? Was she unable to actually do the job no, or was it? absolutely not. It had nothing, she was a teacher. Okay. And it had absolutely nothing to do with her job. The faculty just decided that if you don't lose weight in this certain amount of time, it was a French lady, mm -hmm. if you don't lose weight in this certain amount of time, you're losing your job. And that's exactly what happened. Mm. Because I think we also need to stop treating weight loss as this very easy thing. And also assuming that it's always good and healthy. Like when I was at my slimmest, everyone was like, oh my God, wow, you look amazing. <laughs> uh, like, how did you do it? And it's like, oh, depression and cutting out food. That's how I did it. <laughs> but at that time, I didn't, I didn't have the vocabulary or the knowledge to kind of explain why I felt good and bad about people praising my weight loss. You know, yeah. people lose weight because of illness. I saw this, I think it was a Daily Mail headline, the Kathy Bates, who was in um, misery. So she was recently diagnosed with cancer and she was on a red carpet. And the headline was, Kathy looks great after losing weight post-cancer diagnosis. And it was like, what Whoa. the fuck is this yeah. <laughs> what kind of society do we live in where we just praise weight loss as long as it happens we're not thinking about 
how much we care about the person. We're not thinking about whether they're okay. We're not, we just go, oh, weight loss, excellent. As a society, we praise thinness as a default. And we don't realize that not all of us are gonna fit into that. And that's yeah. fine. It's and we not... don't always take into account what it is that, what's the knock on effect. So I'd mentioned, there was a throwaway comment that I said to a friend of mine who I hadn't seen for a while. I was like, oh man, you're looking like real, like, and you don't even realize again, mm. like the language and stuff. It was, it was weird. And I think as it's something along the lines of, bro, you're looking real, like, like, super like skinny and he'd, he'd taken offense to it but at the time i never realized why he took offense to it mm. and then obviously as i found out a bit later on it was something to do with like his bowels and he hasn't been able to and i was like mm. nah, but yeah. in like it to me i was oblivious to it and it was usually like again in that same frame of like when i when i'd lost a lot of weight mm. you'd have people be like oh my days you look amazing bro mm. like what, what did you do man like da -da -da -da. Yeah. and in my head it might be a warped way and it might not be helpful, mm. but I was under the impression that up until 18, a lot of the decisions I made when I couldn't, or I could be held accountable for, but I never had full autonomy over my life at that point. Mm, yeah, because you're living at home. Exactly. You're I'm eating, eating whatever what you're giving me. Yeah. I'm, I'm doing the bare minimum. But at, when I turned like 18, maybe even 16, I probably in myself, like then it was like, all right, cool. Let, let me try and be a bit more active. So the, mm. the goal in my mind at the time was never like, yo, you need to become this ultimate this. It sure. was just like, yo, let me be a bit more active. And then what ended up happening was I'd see minor differences mm -hmm. and that would accelerate it in my mind of like, mm. oh, cool, then maybe if you stop doing this and maybe if you stop eating that, like maybe mm. we can accelerate this. Sure. And it got to like a point where I'd like, I'd lost a lot of weight. And it was weird because even at that point, I'd still look at myself and be like, yo, you're a slim person who'd gained weight rather than mm. a big guy who'd lost a lot of weight. That's so this morphia in my head was like, yo, man, you, you, you're, you're still not there. You, you, you need yeah. to get to the that's final it. goal. Yeah, it's that's like, it. what is but this it, goal? It becomes really insidious, especially when it's so hard to kind of do that kind of thing without our the context in which we live. You know, if we were kind of sitting in a box without any kind of influences, without society, without the media, without all that kind of thing, would we still do it? You know, would, you know, if we knew that we weren't going to get however many likes or whatever, would we still do it? You know, if we couldn't take a selfie at the gym, would you still do it? Like, it's it's so interesting how it becomes such a propelling force for so many of us. And we don't check in about whether it's good for us or not. Yeah. You know, if you're feeling good in your head and that's what you want to do, by all means. But do you think if someone wants to gain this much weight because they're just happy with it and they're, mm. let's say their lifestyle had maybe accelerated that to the point mm. where they were gaining pounds in society say this might be a strain on nhs because these are some of the voices that you hear in other in other sort of leagues and other realms where people are like that causes a strain on the nhs you need to be able to limit that at this point so at least by this age you won't be doing this you know that's one of the go-to arguments isn't it it's like oh it's a strain on the nhs but so smoking you don't pull someone's cigarette out their hand and go, how dare you put a strain on the NHS? You know, it's just ultimately we're used to being angry at fatness and we're used to being angry at fat people. So if you've got an arbitrary, um, so you know, scientific study that says, oh, well, actually it's this, then, but without reading it yourself or thinking of the context or I did psychology and sociology at uni. So I guess I, I have that kind of privileged eye and position to go, oh, well, this study was only taken, you know, looked at with this many people and this sample size. And, you know, with the um, the cancer research ad that came out, which was, you know, e obesity is a cause of cancer too or whatever. That was such a sensationalised campaign where no one was being critical of it. 
everyone was going, well, of course it does. And I'm just going to be, I'm going to be really abusive to fat people online who challenge it. The thing was, is that, that one of the studies that informed that campaign was sponsored by Weight Watchers. And Weight Watchers is one of the people that get, you know, so Profit. if you go to the doctor and you, yeah, exactly. So if you decide that you do want to lose weight and you go to the doctor, or even if you don't want to lose weight and the doctor says you should, you get referred to Weight Watchers. So... There's a capitalistic root of this as well. A lot of us don't think about that either. I think it's really key that, you know, we see so many adverts, so many articles, so many things like all these very sensationalized headlines and we don't think to go, huh, what is that about? We just take it as verbatim yeah. and run with it. And especially if it informs your your unconscious and conscious biases, of course you're going to keep running with it because you think that that's right. Because you'd even mentioned in one of your recent posts along the lines of Weight Watchers have developed an app for children to somewhat target any sort of like epidemic at an earlier stage mm. and your, your views are quite strongly against that and do you want to maybe elaborate on that or I maybe just think highlight? referring to a whole group of people as an epidemic is a really dangerous and dehumanizing thing to do you know if I had that app when I was a kid I probably would have been a lot worse I saw someone had posted screenshots of using the app a kid had had something like carrots and hummus and the app said, oh, hummus is a red, which means that it's bad. Are you sure you want to eat this? You should limit the, what you're eating. And it's like, if we're teaching kids to not trust their own tastes and appetites and decision making, like, it's just going to result in them having a complex for the rest of their life. But then do you think that we are allowed to limit it if your child loves coca-cola drinking coca-cola for breakfast coca-cola for like dinner and lunch i think what's key is that we need to start teaching parents how to teach kids about food because a lot of it is learned behavior and a lot of it is sometimes a parent is really exhausted and having a crappy time and all they can find is coke and doritos and you go you know what i can't think about this right now because i'm so stressed because i've been working 40 hours this week and I haven't had time to plan this, so here you go. There's always a route to why this behaviour happens. I think especially the way we talk about food is like, oh, chocolate is a treat. Coca-Cola is a treat. So but then we go, oh, well, I just want to eat treats all the time. <laughs> you know, like, if we start teaching kids and parents that food has no moral value... Like, we have attached moral values to food, you know, and that's based on calorific content, that's based on whether it's sugary, it's also based on whether it's fashionable at the time. Someone I follow on Instagram is Your Fat Friend, who is an incredible fat theorist and activist and talks about this kind of thing a lot. And one of the things that she does is collect old diet books. And what's really interesting is seeing what, like, how diets have changed over time. So there was one called, like, The Butter Diet. And, you know, like, and then you look at Atkins, where it was all eating cream and bacon and, you know, and yeah. then, but people have gone, oh, well, that's how I lose weight, so I'm going to do it. What we've decided is healthy and bad and good has changed so much over time. Even, you know, a more recent example is coconut oil. So everyone's like, wow, coconut oil, amazing. And then they were finding, I think there was some kind of study where they found that there was a increase in heart attacks because of the more coconut oil that people were ingesting. So something that was quote unquote superfood has been shown to do other things that aren't necessarily super healthy, yeah. you know, quote unquote healthy. So I think it's it's really key that we work out a good way of talking about food that isn't sensationalistic and isn't polarizing mm. and, and so even tapping onto the language like a friend of mine that attended one of these weight watcher sessions or some form of session mm. she's like you're allowed seven sins a day 
And it's like, the fact we're talking about food I like, oh what's my on God. Earth? I was like, what do you mean you're allowed seven sins? They're like, oh, no, no, that's a sin. So it would be in work. And it would be like, no, I can't have that. That's a sin. And oh. I remember just looking at it at the time, like, sin, you know, but do yeah, your thing. But I ain't going to stop it. you. Like, but it's... To be fair, I can't even, like, Weight Watchers alone won't be able to unpack half of the stuff. This is like a lot of diet schemes and all these sorts of things are meant to only help in the short term. It's something, the stat is something ridiculous. Like, I think it's 94% of diets don't work. I might have got that wrong, but mm. it's a stupidly high percentage. And it's because it's they only work for the short term and then you end up plateauing and then you eat a bit more or you eat a bit less and then you start gaining weight again. You feel bad about yourself. You go back to the diet scheme. Someone makes some money off of that and then you go back into this. It becomes yeah. a really insidious cycle that I think so many of us find so difficult to break. I started to find the body positive community on Tumblr and they were all talking about this kind of thing that I just didn't even think existed. Like the concept of body acceptance or self-acceptance was completely alien to me. I didn't think it was real. And as soon as I started seeing, for example, unairbrushed pictures of people and people going, it's okay to have stretch marks and cellulite. Have you thought about the way that we treat our bodies? And have you thought about the way that we treat food? And, you know, I was having my internal knowledge challenged for the first time ever. And as soon as I started to gain more knowledge, I thought, wow, I need to not only keep learning about this, but trying to teach other people as well, because it made such a huge effect on my life. I mean, body positivity isn't for me personally, just purely because body positivity was started by fat black women and fat queer women of colour. It was a movement for them. Unfortunately, it's now become a really popular hashtag where it's been about, you know, skinny girls being like bending over and showing one role and being like, my life is hard. And it's like, no, babe, you're kind of missing the point because this came from really radical roots. And as the media's caught hold of it, it's become more and more watered down, which has been a real shame. And it does a huge disservice to the people who built the movement to be what it is. But I was really lucky to be in a position where I learned a lot from it. And I hope that some of the knowledge I've learned has been you know, conveyed well to, I guess, my followers and that sort of thing. But I always, where I can, direct people to follow fat people online and to follow um, anti-diet activists and that sort of thing because those are the voices that need to be amplified. Not, you know, I, I know I had a tough time with my body, but ultimately I exist in a very privileged one. I am able-bodied, I'm cisgender, I'm white. And I also experience thin privilege. So, you know, as with any kind of obia or ism, there is a privilege that's kind of the antithesis of it. And so thin privilege, for example, is the fact that I can go to the doctor and they're not going to go, oh, you probably need to lose weight. They're actually going to hear me out. I can go into pretty much any shop and I can buy clothes in my size. Mm. I don't have to worry about how big a chair is before I go to a venue. You know, these are the kind of things that a lot of us don't even seem to think about because you said that even in your article in relation to actual um, models as well mm. so you're like some of the images that we see of some of the plus size models are still not representative i guess it's it's really difficult i think because i exist in the industry obviously as a plus size model and i know that i'm not representative so wherever possible i say look if i'm the biggest plus size model there that's a problem because I'm not representative and it's not fair that so many plus size people and fat people will go to a clothing website and just see models who are half their size wearing the clothes that they want to buy because how on earth are they meant to know what that looks like? I mean, until such time as the fashion industry tries to unpack and challenge its fat phobia, 
I don't know when that change is going to happen. Mm. I think it's great that there are so many people speaking out on it and there are a lot of people challenging it and trying to make change. But when you're a tiny person in a very big system that's been in place for a long time, you do feel very small fishy. How did you even find your journey into modelling? Well, I fell into modelling by mistake. I never thought it would ever be for me, purely because I never saw anyone who looked like me. And also because said shitty ex-person would send me pictures of like skinny models and skinny actors and be like oh if only you looked like her and like was he really like that yeah 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 he'd send me pictures of Kira Knightley and there was one occasion where um one of my friends was suffering from an eating disorder and there was a photo of us taken together and he got the photo cut me out of it sent it back to me with just her in it and was like oh well if you look like that that literally, I mean, it all broke me, but that was one thing that hurt me so much. But again, you know, it yeah. informed what I felt about my body. Yeah, of you know? course. And going back to the modelling, you fell into it by mistake. Yeah, because I, you know, I had all these expectations about what my body is, you know, what I was capable of. Mm. And, you know, because I started off as an actor first, I was looking for things to add to my showreel. I ended up meeting someone who was involved in a music, um, like a music label. And I followed them on Twitter and saw that they were looking models, looking for models for a music video. And I thought, well, not a model, but I could put this in my showreel. I can be, I didn't know what the video was going to be like. So I thought, oh, you know, I'll shove it in there and they can see my range. <laughs> um, they contacted me and said, oh, do you want to model our T-shirts? And I was just kind of looking around like, are you sure? Is it me? Really? Like, I just, it felt so weird. And mm. so, and I was so nervous leading up to it. I couldn't believe that. It was happening and then I realised that I actually felt really good in front of the camera. I didn't really think much of it after that. And then on one of my acting casting profiles, someone contacted me to take photos of me. And I thought, oh, well, I guess this is a thing. It was then it kind of tied in with what I was discovering about body acceptance, body positivity, self-love, that kind of thing. And I realised that it really sucked that I didn't see people that looked like me. And I'm sure, you know, that I'm not the only person who feels that way. So I was trying to fly the flag of representation for, you know, whilst I do exist in a very privileged body, but the um, the standard plus size model is kind of big boobs, small waist, big hips, flat stomach. And that was so not me. You know, I've got belly, I've got bum, like I have no boobs, like, and that's totally cool. But it's rare to see that shape of plus size. So I was hoping that I could help other people by, I guess, being that person. Because I also know that you know, if I, you know, even if this guy was sending me pictures of, you know, Kira Knightley and what's her face from Gilmore Girls, I could go, oh, well, there's this person and she's killing it and she looks amazing. So yeah. I, you know, you can fuck off. But I didn't have that. Yeah, I guess I kept doing test shoots. I was lucky enough to start working for some cool brands. Yeah, I saw you with like um, Adidas not too yeah, long ago, right? Yeah, that was, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but like, it just still doesn't feel real. Like, I was on that set. And like every hour or so, I just had to like take myself away and stop myself from crying and then just come back to sleep because like, <laughs> I just couldn't believe that that was real. Like, you know, if I told me, 16 year old me, that I was going to be modeling for Adidas, she'd be like, shut the fuck up. Like, mm. what is that? Like, I, not to get all soppy about it, but I'm in a place where I, I feel like I'm helping other people, which is something I'm so passionate about whilst being able to, you know, achieve my dreams yeah. and you know adidas is a brand that i've loved for years and years and just being able to be there in germany working with them they were collaborating with me you know it was amazing i was there with a couple of other models 
what was really lovely about it is that it wasn't this kind of, oh, just put that on and get on set. It was, they wanted to work with us to make sure that we felt really comfortable and that we were happy with what we were wearing and whether it represented us. And it was the most incredible experience. Yeah, I hope we get to shoot again. Did they I'll give be you like, free gear as well? Not yet, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Freebies. You yeah. know how it goes. Ah, like <laughs> Hashtag <that>. influence. Yeah. <laughs> there you. had been a really cool article, which again, I'm not sure if you'd be able to recap. Sure. Oh gosh, I'm trying to remember the exact So the first six. one was along the lines of not following anything that makes you feel uncomfortable yes. or anyone. Oh my, that is the thing I say to everyone. And I know it sounds really silly, but as soon as I stopped following people that I felt like I was constantly aspiring to. I felt better about myself because I think a lot of us, which is cool, we follow people that we want to be like or who inspire us or they're doing really cool stuff and we love their clothes and we love that they go on holiday all the time. But if those are the only people you're following, you're just going to feel not good enough all of the time. You know, one of the best things I ever did for myself was starting to follow more plus size models, more fat people speaking about fat acceptance and fat activism, and also um, like body acceptance therapists and coaches, because they are trained in challenging what we think about our bodies. And, you know, just scrolling through Instagram for me now is actually a really great experience and also an educational experience as well. It's like, it gets me thinking and you know, I'll just be scrolling through and they'll kind of say something like, oh, well, what are you unlearning about your body today? And I go, oh, damn, what am I unlearning about my body today? <laughs> mm. um, but it just goes to show that, you know, it's not like a magazine back in the day where it was like, oh, we're stuck with these horrible articles where it's like, how to give a blowjob in 289 <laughs> different ways. You're also really disgusting. Here's how you lose weight. Also, here's all the makeup. You, need. you know, like yeah. we can curate our own feeds yeah. so that it's, it nourishes us rather than the tracks. makes us feel bad. Yeah. yeah, I think you'd mentioned along the lines of um, not using sizing to dictate. Clothing size is so arbitrary. You know, from one shop, I could be a 14. Another one, I'm an 18. Like, I don't even bother with H&M anymore because it just doesn't make any sense. And we just end up being so harsh on ourselves because we're not this random number that someone assigned this one time and has become the system. You know, once we think of it in that way, rather than this fixed thing that we need to fit into, we're just going to end up being a bit easier on ourselves. You know, I... God, the amount of times I would be so upset and just cry in a changing room because something didn't fit me. And now I can go into those kinds of spaces and just pick up clothes of different sizes and go, oh, well, especially because I'm more kind of bottom heavy. So ultimately, if I buy like a jumpsuit or a play suit or whatever, it'll be tight on the bottom and quite loose on the top. And I just go, okay, well, I'll just size up then or I'll just size down because the number literally doesn't mean anything. Just because a shop says it does, doesn't mean that it does and also if clothing in a certain store doesn't fit you that's their problem that's their an accessibility problem not your problem for not being what they want or what they need cool and maybe just one oh, more can you think of one more off the top of your head yeah just think about the way that you treat your body so for example i guess i'm still one of those people who because i'm still unlearning as i said you know i i'm a big self-checker so if there's ever a mirror and i can see my whole body in it i'll like touch my body i'll touch my stomach i'll suck in and out and i'll do all these kinds of things which i'm trying to stop doing because it's not good for me but what we do is that we poke and we prod and we squeeze and we scratch and we you know it's not a nice way to treat our bodies like if we start stroking and caressing and just being a bit softer with ourselves 
we're going to feel a bit nicer about ourselves. It's not this, oh God, look at this horrible problem. Like if you treat your body that way, you're going to keep ending up feeling like your body is a battleground or something to be, you know, something to be hurt and something that's not good. Mm. But if you start being softer and kind of going, oh, this is nice. This is how my body is shaped. This is, you know, taking that time to just, yeah, as I said, be soft. So could you tell everyone where they could find you sure. if they wanted to look up some of the work that you've been doing? And so you can find me uh, on Instagram and Twitter at Kitty Underhill X. So that's my name with a kiss on the end. I like to think of it that way. Um, also because there are two other people called Kitty Underhill on Instagram and Twitter. <laughs> and they stole my name. But it's fine. I'm not bitter about it. It's fine. Totally bitter. <laughs> so bitter. They don't even use that anyway. Um, but I want to ask you three questions before we go. Okay, I'm ready. Uh, the first question is what's the happiest day of your life oh wow wow okay i wasn't ready <laughs> <laughs> i'm ready um, but uh, okay gosh okay i think to be honest the adidas shoot was probably the happiest day of my life it was such a big milestone for me in terms of self-acceptance body acceptance you know career goals just it was an amazing day with amazing you know i made friends with all the you know the models were my friends so it was like doing a thing with friends and yeah, it was such an incredible, meaningful thing. Yeah, just well. getting paid to do what I love. What a concept, yeah, you know? Like, sick. Imagine. I know, imagine. Yeah. yeah so. um, second question is, what's something that overwhelms you? Ooh, um, how angry I am at the system. Is that a really cheesy thing no, to no, say? No, 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 It's go. just like, we internalise so much nastiness, like, and the really evil forces at play that we see in the media and our society are just so frustrating and I wish I could tackle everything and I wish I could attack everything and just overhaul the entire system and start a revolution but that requires a lot of stuff doesn't it and well you know it requires a lot of people it requires a lot of yeah gosh it requires so much and the third question is what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given oh good question weirdly the one that comes to mind is one from my mum and she says never shout at someone who can't shout back that has always stuck with me because it's about treating everyone with respect isn't it it's not this i'm above you so i can treat you however i like like we've we're all doing our best and the more we can be kinder to each other and the more that we can help each other be more compassionate we're just going to end up getting on better and helping each other that little bit more. What a way to end the show. Kitty, it's been a pleasure to have you on. Oh, thank you um, so much for having me. It's no, been no, great. no. Thank you for coming. And on that note, peace out.